Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. Great way to jump into that, and now we're all born again. Hopefully you are. And thank you, Carrie, for sharing that. And uh, that goes right along with my message, what you were passionate about there at the end. If we don't, who will? If we don't, who will? Oh, boy. Here we go again. Oh, Pastor, you don't know. It's been so, so difficult this weekend. It's so tired. I hope that you preach loud because I'm going to fall asleep otherwise. Okay. Come on. Come on. I'm Pastor Norm Oberlin, the loudmouth pastor. And today, I'm going to tell you how I led you astray. Uh oh. Well, at least, sort of, kind of, in, in a way. And I wanted to start, we are in the book of Revelation, and this is, uh, I believe, part eight. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing these parts, but anyway, this, today we're going to actually go into uh, chapter six. It's a good chapter. Well, for us it's a good chapter. For some... It's not such a good chapter, all right? But we'll get there in a minute. But what I wanted to tell you was this. If you remember in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached, where? Throughout the world. That means everybody's going to get it, right? So that all nations will hear it. And what's it say at the end? And then the end will come. Now, I have actually preached this that this is the precursor to the, to the rapture. I'm sorry. The, this has to happen before Jesus comes back for His church. I have been corrected by the Master, not Jesus, He is the Master, but Dr. Jack Van Upe. And he explains this a whole lot better. Some say that Jesus cannot return until the Gospel goes out throughout the world. But the way that Jack sees it, and I believe that he's correct as I've studied this out after relearning this, is that actually the tribulation is the last thing that's going to happen. The rapture is a signless event. All right? So, in order for Scripture to come true or for that prophecy to take place, all the people have to be reached, but not before. Jesus comes back after the tribulation. All right? So, I don't know if I just said that clearly. Let me back that up. In order for Jesus to come back, the tribulation is going to happen. And then Jesus is coming back. But the rapture is a signless event. All right? This has nothing to do with all the nations being reached. And when I read this, I was like, ooh, I've been teaching this. In fact, I just taught a class in BTI on this, and I emphasize this point. So I stand corrected, okay? All the nations are going to be reached before Jesus comes back the second time. 
We call that the revelation of Christ. When He comes back after the seven-year tribulation, by then, all nations will have heard the good news. Are people going to get saved during the tribulation? I'm going to go into that next week. This week, I won't so much, but a little bit maybe. So pay attention. Hopefully you'll enjoy this. I wanted to start out today with prayer, but then I wanted to share something from a, another author other than Jack, uh, Jack Van Impey. So would you bow your heads with me for a minute? Lord, we love your word. We know that it, it is our daily bread. And Lord, today I pray you'd feed each one of us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray that we would understand your truths better than ever before so that we can go out and give a clear answer to those in our community and even around this globe. Lord, you have called this church for such a time as this. And I pray that as I, I look out across this room, Lord, I pray that these people would become your evangelists, that we would share the testimony about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, that people would hear, Lord, and that you would fill up your church, whether it's this one or any full gospel church around our community, Lord, and around this world. God, just move mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love this part. And this is something else I didn't understand until I just recently looked at it. Did you realize, as we go through the uh, 21 judgments, there are actually 21 we'll go over in the next few weeks, starting with today. But as you go through these, the interesting part is that what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 and Luke 17 in Mark 13, what he prophesied in those books is actually exactly what's in the book of Revelation. The, the chronology of the events that are going to happen. Ron Rhodes put it clearly in his book, 40 Days of Revelation. I've got to read this. Uh, 40 Days Through Revelation, Uncovering the Mystery of the End. Ron Rhodes had this little chart in there, and I just duplicated it so that you could see this. But look at, on the left, the Olivet Discourse, that's basically where Jesus is sharing about the end times from Matthew chapter 24. And then if you look over to the seven seals, which is what we're going to read about today in Revelation 6, you'll see how they're almost identical, the things that are taking place. When people question the Bible's authenticity, man, all you got to do is study it out. And you'll begin to realize just how accurate it is. We don't have to question it. God knew what he was doing long before he wrote it. And we're seeing it right behind me. And this is what we're going to look at today. And by the way, as I read from Revelation, I'm going to actually show the uh, verse that compares to it from uh, Matthew 24. So let's start today with Revelation 6, verse 1. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Again, just to back this up a little bit, who is the only one that can open the seals? Jesus. All right, because he's the only one that was perfect. Angels couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. No human being. Only God the Son. Hallelujah. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a, 
a voice like thunder, Come! I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Now, if you read this without comparing it to any other scriptures, you might walk away going, oh, that's cool. Man on a white horse. I think I remember that somewhere out, a little bit farther out. And what's he doing? He's winning many battles. He's gaining the victory. This almost sounds like who? Jesus. But who is it? Satan. Huh? Let me show you. First, let me back this up and say, the word come simply means it's time. Because it can be confusing when you look at that. Come, what it's saying is, all right, your time is now. He's really saying, go. It's time. It's time. It's time. Revelation 19.11 I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. I underline those two words because if you look back here, you'll see he wins many battles and gains the victory and Jesus is coming back to wage a righteous war. Can you see the similarities? But here's the thing. Satan is a counterfeiter. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. And then in 2 Corinthians, what, he comes back as an angel of light. He's a pretender. And he's actually coming back to wage a war, but it's not in the sense of war like military. This is a diplomatic war. All right? Jesus is coming back to wage real war. He's going to annihilate the enemy when he comes back after the seven-year tribulation. Satan, however, is coming back at the beginning of the tribulation that says here that they're going to put a crown on him, right? So the crown is a symbol of them giving him authority. So the earth's leaders are going to say, all right, you know, you got all the answers. You come on. And, but you have to notice, let me go back, if I can work this thing here. You have to notice that he carries a bow, but what does it say about arrows? No arrows. So what does that mean? Yes, he's coming back to fight, but he's doing it diplomatically. Satan is coming back as a diplomat, and he's going to gain the trust of the whole world through this bringing peace back, if you will. So let's jump back down here. We all know that he's an angel of light. We know that he disguises himself. And I believe that in this verse, what we're seeing is, or verses, what we're seeing is, is that Daniel, or Daniel, that's actually my next thing I'm reading, from Daniel chapter 9.27, but uh, Satan is coming back, and he's going to try to bring peace. And we read about that in Daniel 9.27, where he prophesied, the ruler will make a treaty with the people, for a period of one set of seven, but after half that, half that time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. So we see here that he's coming back, but he's going to be diplomatic about it. He's going to get everybody's trust, and he's going to tell them, oh, peace and safety, peace and safety. Everybody's going to think peace is coming. What is it? 
Let me tell you, it's going to last a very brief time. We're going to read more about this in the next verse. Because here is another one coming. When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, what? Which means the time is now. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Ooh, how many like the color red? I do, unless it means blood, which is exactly what this means. Again, it's time. Another horse appears, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. So here we see this rider is coming to destroy that peace that was on the earth for that short time. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Matthew 24, 6, Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and threats of peace. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. There are going to be wars. Do we want to be here during this time? This prophecy involving the red horse, we honestly don't have to stretch this at all. Look around our globe today. You know, the last month, two months, maybe a year, we've been hearing about people who have the ability for nuclear war but aren't all there up here. How easy would it be for somebody to push the button? And you know that if one of them does it, that nation's going to be annihilated quick because we're not going to just sit back. If somebody sends a nuclear war, a nuclear war head at us or at Israel, all hell's going to break loose. This rider on this red horse, he's bringing destruction. He's bringing slaughter. These leaders are wielding their nuclear weapons like BB guns. And they are claiming that they're going to either wipe out Israel or the U.S. or South Korea or Japan. They're not going to put up with it. It's only a matter of time. Amen? The other story as I've been following it is all of the major superpowers have been increasing their military. China, Russia, now the U.S. We've got to keep up their strength in power, contrary to what some claim. Eventually, eventually, there's going to be a war, just as the Bible predicted. So that's what the second writer is going to do. The third when the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come, it's time. I looked up and I saw this time a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. Don't waste the olive oil and wine. Hmm, Jesus said, Nation will go against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in the world. By the time this third rider comes, the third seal is opened. What does war usually bring? If you were around or maybe you were a baby, maybe you were young, but if you remember during World War I, World War II, what happened with the economy. There was inflation. 
You know, it, it's, war is expensive. And it cost the nations a lot of money. And people were barely able to eat. It's going to be even worse here. It truly is. It's going to be worse. The Bible says that it's going to take a day's wage to buy a loaf of bread. Well, that'll feed your family for a day, maybe. The essentials will still be here, wine and oil, but they're going to be hard to come by. It's going to be a very difficult time. There are some that, I've watched some documentaries on these people, but they're called preppers. Maybe you're a prepper. And listen, I've got nothing against people being prepared because who knows what's going to happen. You should have a few months' supply of food and water. That's just smart, right? But there are some who think, hey, you know, currency's going to take a dump. I'm just going to buy gold, and I'm going to just store that up, and then when this thing hits, man, I'm going to have all the money I need, and people will be bowing down to me because they're going to want my gold. Really? Let me tell you something about that. If you're trusting in your gold and your silver and your currency, in Ezekiel 7.19, which, by the way, is referring to the end times, it says this, they will throw their money in the streets, tossing it out like worthless trash. Their silver and gold won't save them on that day of the Lord's anger. I hope you realize the tribulation is the day of God's anger. All right? It will... It will neither satisfy nor feed them, for their greed can only trip them up. So what we see here is nothing's going to save people during this tribulation. In fact, in order to buy or sell, and we'll get into this later, but you have to have a, a mark. We don't know what the mark's going to be. God's people are going to get a mark next week. We'll talk about that. But the people of Satan, the people that follow the beast, they're going to get a mark either on their hand or their forehead, the Bible says. We don't know what it is, but if you're going to eat, you have to bow to the beast. We're going to get into all this later. But I'm sharing this today because it lines up with this particular little capsule or nugget of truth. Jesus said this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures where? In heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We have to be careful not to allow currency or whatever it is that we own to manipulate us. What should be a priority in our lives is serving Jesus and doing what He commands us to do. So if you're following Him and you're listening to Him and you're doing the things the Holy Spirit tells you to do, you're on good ground. But if you're just trying to store stuff up so that you can avoid this apocalypse that's coming, it's not going to work. They're going to find you. Let me tell you something. People that are hungry are going to find you. Wouldn't it be better if you just prepared for the rapture? Spend your money reaching people. Bringing the kingdom of God in. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need the gospel to go out. We need people to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And the only way to heaven is through the Son. We need to spend everything we have, within reason, reaching the lost for Jesus. Can I get a good amen? We can't take anything with us anyway, right? So why not invest it in God's kingdom rather than this earth's economic system? And by doing these things, you will get an eternal dividend. It'll pay off forever. If that isn't cool, I don't know what is. That's good news. The fourth seal. When the Lamb broke from the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come! It is time. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. I always think of nasty stuff when I think of this horse. We already saw how the different colors defined what they were bringing. All right, The first one, the white one, was a masquerade, the angel of light. He was bringing diplomacy. The second one was the red-white rider, and of course he brought blood, war. The third one was black. He brought the uh, uh, famine. Thank you. And now, what could the pale green mean? Its rider was named Death. His companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of this world. I don't know about you. I don't want to be here. This writer is horrifying to me. He's going to bring the most doom and gloom. Again, war leads to Inflation. Inflation leads to famine. Famine leads to death. And death, of course, results in all kinds of diseases being released. It says the wild animals are going to be a part of this. Think about it. People die. Those big old vultures. Have you guys, we have vultures up here, you know that? I saw some the other day. Their wingspan's like eight feet. I mean, it's amazing. They're big birds. And they come down, and they see somebody down there that's already dead or almost dead, and they just start picking at them. Of course, there's disease in their bodies. So as they're eating that, they help do what? Spread it all over. And that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a horrific time to live. I don't want to be here. I don't think you want to be here. Hallelujah. It's going to be a very difficult day for those living on this planet. But Jesus was clear about this when he said in Matthew 10, 28, and I'm reading from the New King James, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, don't worry about the enemy. You're not going to be here anyway. According to my interpretation of the Bible, which I believe is, is uh, accurate from what we've read, if you haven't already done so, the key is get right with Jesus. Then you won't have to worry about all this other stuff going on. Get your family right with Jesus. Listen, 
This isn't the kind of day where we just sit back playing mamby-pamby believer. If you've got people in your household that aren't saved, you better start reaching them and preaching them. Preaching to them. Young people, if your parents aren't saved, you better... Mom, Dad, hello! You don't have much more time. Sam, you better get your parents saved. No, I'm messing with you. And parents, the same with your kids. Whether they're teenagers or adults. We need to be real about this. We need to convince them that they need to get saved because whatever's coming, and we're reading about it today, whatever's coming, whatever God has in store, it's not going to be good. Get right with Jesus. Repent of your sins. Amen? So the first four seals that were opened were satanic in nature. All right? All four of them. This is going to result in about 1.5 to 1.7 billion people dying. Not cool. That's a lot of death. But when the fifth seal is broken, this one's different than the first four. Let me read. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the Word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, were to be martyred and had joined them. I think I added that part, didn't I? Nope, that's in there. Listen, I want you to understand something here. These saints who are under the altar are the people that are getting martyred during the tribulation, during that seven years. What in the Old Testament was under the altar? Anybody remember? They sacrificed, and what would be under the altar? The blood. The saints who were martyred. The faithful. They didn't deny Christ when they came and said, bow to the beast. No. God saved me. I can't turn on Him. My trust is in the Lord. Here's the other thing I want you to note. In the era of grace, in the age of grace, we've talked about this quite a bit, but this is when all the Gentiles get saved, right? Along with a few Jews. But what I want you to see is when the uh, people died during the age of grace, typically we would say to the people, all right, God, forgive them for having taken my life or about to take my life. The example I used was Stephen. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. You see that? Now go back. What are they saying here? Lord, how long before you avenge our blood? This shows us it's a different age. 
All right? The age of grace is over. This is a different dispensation. Now they want their blood avenged. All right? And they're telling Jesus, how long, how long? And the Lord replies to them, and He says, whoa, just wait a little longer. Wait a little longer. Rest a little longer, if you will. You still with me? All right. So Jesus is telling them, and and some believe that either this has to do with stop worrying so much about vengeance, or it just simply means just rest. Enjoy the peace. There's one other important thing I need to bring out here. There's this idea that we all go into a sleep state when we die. But I want you to note here, does it look like these people are in a sleep state? Not at all. In fact, they're aware of time, obviously, because they're saying, how long before you avenge our blood? So we have to understand that these people are fully awake. They're not with their bodies, but their spirit is alive, and it's well. And it's in heaven, right? I know this is a lot today. I know I'm throwing a lot at you. I hope it's, I hope it's ministering to you. So we need to understand, again, they're going to be given white robes, just like we've already been put... Our white robes are already on us, right? We've already been rewarded and given our crowns. And these are the people that are going to get martyred during the tribulation. So hopefully I've covered that enough. The sixth seal. Here we go. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree, shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. It's a big earthquake. The biggest earthquake that's ever hit this planet. It's going to level the earth. Imagine the Rocky Mountains sliding in to the Grand Canyon. Some of the things that you need to realize are taking place here. Besides the earthquake, there will be all kinds of volcanoes, all kinds of tsunamis. We've seen a lot of that lately. 100-foot walls of water just wiping islands out. Picture this, the sun will no longer be seen. Now this could be from a nuclear blast, if you've seen pictures of those. It could be from the sun scorching the earth. The Bible actually says that a third of the earth is going to burn up during this time. I believe that's a revelation. I, don't, I think, yeah, there it is. One third of the earth was set on fire. This is a little ahead, but one third of the trees and all the grass was burned. Well, what's going to come out of that? Smoke. You're not going to be able to see the sky any longer because of the smoke filling the air. It's going to be a terrible time to live on this planet. How horrible this judgment will be. And it is judgment, by the way. May God show mercy on those who are on this planet. Verse 15. 
Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the face of the One who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to survive? These people, these are the people that denied Christ. And they're going to realize all of a sudden this Jesus guy wasn't some fable. He was real. He's the real deal. But they turned his back on him through their whole life. Just as many are today. And they're going to all of a sudden realize, I'm a goner. Here's the weird thing. They could repent, even here. But they don't. Their hearts are so hardened. They're not going to repent. And we actually talk about this a little bit later as well. Don't let your heart become so hardened that you reject the call of God on your soul. Here's the good news. Those who have put their trust in Jesus have nothing to fear. If you're here today and you're thinking, God, I don't want to go through this, you don't have to. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And they speak of how you were looking, Paul said this, they speak to how you were looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. How many of you are? Raise your hand. You're looking forward to this. The only reason you wouldn't be looking forward to this is if you're not saved. He who is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. When is the coming judgment? It's the tribulation. We're not going to be here. We're going to be rescued from it. And if you go a little bit further on in the book of Thessalonians, you'll see that it talks about the rapture. I'm not going there today. Jesus paid for our sins, and as long as we are still in this age of grace, we can be saved. Once you die, though, or once the church is taken up, you are going to go through the, the tribulation. If you're still here after... Remember that video I showed, was it two weeks ago? Half of you guys were holding your hearts afterwards. Because it shocked you. It was in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, and all of a sudden that church was empty, except for a handful of people. I personally believe it's going to be a little more even, if not the other way. And I already shared why. Because narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. A lot of people are going to make the wrong choice. But once they're here, and after the rapture of the church, and all our little piles of clothes are down here if that happens, they're going to be looking at it and going, oh, they were right! Jesus is real! The rapture was real! And I'm still here! Now what? You have a choice. You First of all, you repent. 
and you give your heart to Jesus. And then you say, Lord, help me get through this. Because you're going to have to live through that seven years. Or you're going to have to give your testimony, which is probably going to result in your death. Man, this is pretty tough preaching, Pastor. It's the Word of God. I know it's difficult. I don't enjoy this any better, any more than you. I hate reading this stuff. I don't want my family to go to hell. I don't want people to have to go through this tribulation, through the judgment of God. But the Bible says it's going to happen. And we've got to be ready. And we have to prepare those that are in our lives to be ready. Can I get an amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to show a video. And this video, just to give it just a, a little thing, and then I'm going to close after the video. But how many of you have ever heard of Penn and Teller? Magicians. All right. Penn had someone come into his life and afterwards he decided he would do one of those little uh, what do you call that when you use your own phone and you do a video thing and selfie. selfie, yeah, he did a selfie video after this person came into his life and here's the thing, Penn is an atheist but he's talking about a Christian and I wanted you to hear from a, a non-believer what he says about Christianity, you and me, especially in these last days. Are you ready for that? Go ahead and play that. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the... Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. 
He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. that make you think as far as I know and he was he was contemplating this afterwards he said you know what I'm thinking about it Jesus I'm thinking about the Bible and obviously his theology was a little off obviously the Psalms is in the Old Testament proselytizing is actually taking someone from another church what he meant to say or should have said is evangelizing that man was evangelizing he was trying to get him to see that there's only one way out of this, and that's through Jesus. How much, did he, he said this, how much must you hate people if you know this and don't tell them? And that's what I wanted you to get. This is a non-believer who's obviously confused 
in my opinion. He thinks we are. But I believe we've got the answers. And we need to reach the lost with the gospel, with our testimony, if you will. Would you put that last slide up? I have gone through just the beginning parts of the judgments of God. And already I'm shaken. I'm shaken from the things that are going to come. And it makes me realize if I really love these people, won't I do everything in my power to reach them? Would you stand with me? This little list behind, I, I just came up with it as I was studying the other day to pray. Prayer is just a means to get things done. We need to lay that foundation. We need to get into people's lives. Ask the Lord to remove the blinders. As like Penn, he's blind. God, remove the blinders off this man. If he hasn't already done so, Lord, lead him to the cross. Help him to see the truth that you are real that you are alive, and that you're coming back for your church. Pray that God would replace their pride because, listen, pride is what keeps people from saying yes to Jesus. It's the thought, I can do this. No, you can't. I can be a good man. No, you can't. Not according to Scripture. I will go to heaven because I'm a good person. No, you won't. It's pride. Pray that these people have humility. Lord, humble these people so that they'll see the truth. They'll recognize their need for a Savior. Pray that people see the accuracy of the Bible. Listen, this book, this manual, is all we've got. And God, God gave it to us to share. Yes, it's supposed to help us to live a, a righteous life, but then we have to share it. Just like that man gave Penn that little Bible, that little pocket Bible. I'm sure it had the New Testament in it too because that's how they make it. It's Psalms and the New Testament. I, I, I used to have one. We need to get the Word out. Maybe buy a whole bunch of those little Bibles and hand them out to people. I don't know. Be led of the Spirit. But most important... Pray for these people that they'll recognize this is truth. And then finally, pray that God open their hearts. Listen, I talked about those in the end times that are going to be so cold to God, so turned off by Him, they're not going to want anything to do with Him. Even while they're being annihilated from all these things that are going to hit this planet, they're still going to reject Jesus and refuse to repent of their sins. Open their hearts. Get a hold of these people that are lost. Lord, we pray from the north, south, east, and west that the nets would be thrown out, Lord, and that you'll draw them into Jesus. Open their hearts to receive from you, Lord. 
we know that you're standing at the door of their heart right now and knocking. And if they'll just open it up, you'll come in and you'll, you'll spend time with them and you'll eat with them according to Scripture. And Lord, I pray that they would see that moment, that it would be real to them and that they'll, whatever they need to do, whether it's bend their knee or, or just say, God, help me. Jesus, come. Whatever it is, Lord, get a hold of their hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And last, that they would finally repent and ask you to make them a new person. Lord, as we close this service today, I pray that the reality of these judgments will hit home with each one of us that are saved. Just as Penn said, a non-believer, an atheist, his words, just as he said, if you know the truth and you know what's coming, how much must you hate people if you don't tell them what you know? Let that message infiltrate our hearts this week, Lord. This month, the remainder of the time that we have on this planet. Help us to see the need that we are called to be evangelists and to go out and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost, with the unchurched, with the atheists, the agnostics, the scientific community, all those who have for whatever reason turned their back on You. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Before I quit today, before I close this service, I just want to ask real quick, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not ready. If Jesus were to come back for the church today, I'd be one of those that's still here. I'd be one of those, Lord, who'd be crying because I'd know that I was left behind. If you know in your heart you're not ready, but you want to be, I want to pray with you today. Every, every head bowed, eyes closed. This is between you and God. If you're here today and you say, that's me, pray for me, Pastor. Would you lift your hand up? Yep. Anybody else? Hallelujah. You can put them down. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. There are a few people that raised their hand. And I want, I want you to pray this prayer. And I know we did this at communion, but listen, I don't care how many times you have to pray. Pray until it's real to you. Until you know that God's got a hold of your heart. I want, to, I want you to pray this out loud. I'm asking the whole body here to pray with me. And if you mean business, then your life's going to be changed here today. You ready? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, for his shed blood. I believe he died for me. He's prepared a way for me. All I need to do is accept that gift of eternal life. Today, I turn from my wicked ways. I repent of my sins. And I ask You, Lord, forgive me and wash me clean. Today, I give You my life. July the 9th, 2017 I dedicate my life to you 
Now have your way with me. And help me to serve you in all the days that I have left. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning. Mac, would you come up here? And if that was you, I would invite you to come and see this man when we're done here. He has something he wants to put in your hand, and he'd like to explain a few things about being a disciple of Jesus. And listen, these aren't the days to be playing around. My altar time here, oh gosh. I don't even know how to close because, listen, it's up to us. Do we love the world or do we hate it? I'm talking people. Do we love them or do we hate them? I pray that our lives would show that. That we will be tenacious, that we'll be bolder than we've ever been, that we'll be courageous with the testimony God's given us and that we'll make a difference in this day and age. Lord, again, we are the church. We need you. Holy Spirit, guide us into conversations with the lost, with the unchurched. Help us to be uh, bold. Help us to be busy about the Father's business, sharing our testimony, what you've done in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us many opportunities this week, next week, for the rest of the time we're here before you come back for us. Give us opportunities, Lord, to reach the lost like Penn and others like him, Lord. And God, we commit this church into your hands in Jesus' name. Now keep us safe in our coming and in our going, Lord. Bless this people for coming out here today and hearing your word and worshiping you. Keep us all safe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite our prayer team to come up. If you have any prayer needs, they'll be up here for you. Uh, otherwise, you are dismissed. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.